You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. No Tommy today. He's attending Steven Strasburg's press conference. He'll call in tomorrow. It's Aaron. It's me. No guests because we are celebrating today the 10-year anniversary of Bruce Allen being hired as the Redskins Executive Vice President of Football Operations and General Manager, a title that became, four years later, Team President. Uh, He was doing such a great job, he got a new title and new job responsibilities. What a day it was 10 years ago. And I'm being serious about this. If you recall back 10 years ago when I was working radio and I was doing a show with Tommy middays, uh, we had all begged for Vinny Serrato to be fired for a real football executive to be named general manager and to take over the football operation because the first 10 years of Dan Snyder's ownership, nine of which, uh, nine of which, which were with Vinny Serrato were so horrific, so different, so disappointing. Um, that we just needed change, and we got it on that day 10 years ago. We got Bruce Allen. So in honor of that uh, day, um, we are going to be dropping some beauties uh, from Bruce, some of his greatest hits from over the years, like this recent uh, treasure from just a few months ago. You know, the culture is actually damn good. There you go. So we'll be doing that periodically throughout the show. See, over the 10 years, he got something done. He made got, the culture damn good. He, he's given us a lot of sound drops, just like Vinny Serrato did. We do have a plan. We have an idea. We know what we're doing, so don't panic. Boy, they sound almost exactly the same when you think about it. Yeah, um, they do. Uh, we really did rejoice in this news 10 years ago. Most of us did. Um, I did. Uh, and you know what it is? It, it's it's that, that, that syndrome that you're in of being a battered fan base and needing something to grab onto that gives you a ray of hope. And it was such a buffoon show. It's, it was such a clown show for 10 years of just, you know, Vinny and Dan um, basically embarrassing themselves and the franchise for 10 years, and the record reflected that. It was 80 and 96 over those 10 years, a win percentage of 454 with two playoff wins. Uh, That's two more than they've had under Bruce Allen, but it was so bad that everybody wanted change. And Bruce Allen was like family because of his father, and it felt like uh, you know, they were hiring a real football executive. Now, there were concerns at the time that he was not the best talent evaluating type of general manager, but I think there was some belief that he would put people in place that would sort of spearhead that effort, you know, the draft and free agency. But you had, you felt like you had an adult in the building for the first time and that Dan had gotten sick of the Vinny Serrato and Jim Zorn stuff and it was time for change because that was one of those in 2009, one of those real early rock bottom moments. Well, 10 years later, it's not much different. You know, a terrible record, 62-97-1 during the Bruce Allen 10 years. Two playoff appearances, zero wins, a 389 win percentage. Uh, It's been just as awful. And I think that moving forward, what we don't want is we don't want to have to celebrate another anniversary of Bruce Allen's era, you know, Bruce Allen being in charge. You know, next year this time, if he's here for an 11th season, it's not going to be more likely than not accompanied by a better record or an impending playoff run. That's not going to happen a year from now with Bruce still here. It may not happen with Bruce gone. The owner's the problem. You know, all losers like this organization rot from the head down. Everybody knows that. Bruce is just a symptom, a bad one, but a symptom. 
But anyway, throughout this program, uh, we will be dropping in some Bruce Beauties from the past uh, to keep you hopefully entertained uh, as you remember 10 years of Bruce Allen. Now, there was news, a lot of it, uh, yesterday after the show. And um, the, the the big piece of news or the big story that got a lot of attention was Les Carpenter's story in the Post, which I will get to here momentarily. But Britt Hume started it off yesterday, the Fox News um, analyst and and reporter and whatever Brett Hume does for Fox these days. I think he's this senior uh, analyst, uh, senior political analyst at Fox News. Brett Hume's a Redskin fan. He lives in the area. And um, the, the buzz uh, about Urban Meyer being at the game Sunday, he tweeted out yesterday, Meyer told me he was in town for a White House Christmas party after attending the Army-Navy game on Saturday. Asked if he might consider the Redskins job, quote, I think I'm done coaching. Um, He said he knew his presence at the game Sunday would trigger speculation, uh, which it did. Um, And then, so that was from Britt Hume, who's been in the owner's box at various times over the years at FedEx Field for Redskins games. The uh, uh, Ben Standig, who was on the show yesterday, late yesterday, had a story about Urban Meyer and Dwayne Haskins, another piece of news to come out um, yesterday afternoon after we had recorded the show. Ben wrote that Urban Meyer's existence in the stadium Sunday was unknown to Dwayne Haskins. Haskins actually, you know, acted as if he didn't know that. Maybe he didn't. But one of the reasons that perhaps he didn't know it, Standig wrote, that Urban Meyer's relationship with Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State was not a warm relationship, according to sources. Concerns, Ben Standig writes, concerns over Haskins' maturity did not begin this year in Washington, and not everyone in Columbus believed the quarterback was ready to depart Ohio State after his lone season starting. So there was some information on Urban Meyer, on Urban Meyer and Dwayne Haskins. Benjamin Albright, the Colorado reporter, who suggested uh, last week, I believe it was, that Eric Bieniemy would be a target for the Redskins, and that you know uh, prompted the conversation about Alex Smith and his role in the organization uh, after this season. Benjamin Albright said that Urban Meyer was a consultant on the Colorado State job opening and also a consultant to Dan Snyder. I don't know what Dan's relationship with Urban Meyer is. I don't. Um, They may have mutual friends. They may know each other. Uh, I really don't. But I think what did get cleared up yesterday was what our hunch was yesterday, and that is that Urban Meyer's not a legitimate candidate for the job um, here in Washington. That's my, my guess. And I thought that the Ben Standing stuff, which he did not mention on the podcast with us yesterday, he was a guest on the podcast, um, was uh, an interesting um, piece of information as well. That leads us into the Les Carpenter piece in the Washington Post, which got a lot of attention late yesterday, last night, and even into early this morning. Les Carpenter wrote a lengthy story about the relationship between Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen deteriorating, which is not new news. It's something we've been talking about here for a couple of months now. Um, J.P. Finley, other stations, uh, our station, um, a lot of people have been talking about the Dan uh, Snyder-Bruce Allen relationship not being the same anymore. 
They're they're not together. They're not joined at the hip anymore. They're not uh, together as much on the practice field in Ashburn. They're not together in the, the owner's suite. They're not together on the field before the game. So a lot of of Les Carpenter's story deals in um, stuff that isn't news, but just a a confirmation with people uh, weighing in. And there's some good quotes here, which I'm going to read to you in a moment, that the relationship between Bruce and Dan isn't the same anymore. But what really got the attention in Les Carpenter's piece was the following. He wrote, quote, Multiple people with knowledge of the situation say Snyder has not made a decision on Allen's future with the team. The owner is planning a full evaluation of the organization, and while Snyder often has such reviews, one person familiar with Snyder's plans said, this one will focus more on the top than in past off-seasons, closed quote. That from Les Carpenter's story. So it's very it's an interesting story in that he goes into, into great detail, and I'll read to you some of this, um, about the deterioration of the Bruce Allen uh, Dan Snyder relationship, which again is not news. It's something we've been talking about here on the podcast and on the radio show, and JP has, and others in town have been as well. Um, but then he comes back and says, hey, it's not over yet. Bruce might still be here because multiple people with knowledge say Snyder hasn't made a decision yet on Allen's future with the team. Let me cut to the chase as far as I'm concerned. I still believe what I've believed all along, and I've talked to the various people that I talk to every once in a while. Um, and they believe the same thing, but nobody knows for sure. And I've made that very, very clear. This is what I would call an informed hunch. Bruce Allen's not coming back in a football capacity next year. And look, I mean, if you're being realistic about this, if you were the owner of this franchise and you just looked at the record 62, 97 and one, and then you looked at revenue, which has been declining and you looked at customer reaction and it's eroded significantly, how could you possibly employ this person as your team president moving forward? Now, you can't fire yourself. You're the owner. This guy's not a family member. He's not an owner of the organization. He doesn't have equity in the organization, not that I know of. He doesn't have the right to stay in perpetuity. Dan Snyder may not be a great business person, but he's a business person. The thing is crumbling around him. And enemy number one is his team president, who is 62-97-1. There isn't one legitimate reason for one reasonable person for keeping him. But anyway, um, I wanted to read uh, a little bit from Les Carpenter's story, because there is some uh, interesting information and a couple of quotes that I wanted to get to. But, but what he starts off writing is he writes... And I'll just read it from the top, and I'll read you a couple of paragraphs. At about 8.10 p.m. Sunday, some four hours after the Washington Redskins had suffered their 11th loss of the season, team owner Daniel Snyder and his wife Tanya left his suite at FedEx Field with injured quarterback Alex Smith and his wife Elizabeth. The two couples got into separate black SUVs that had been waiting in an area near the Redskins' locker room and drove away from the stadium. The scene itself was not unusual. Les Carpenter writes, Snyder, Car- Snyder often lingers in his suite after games, sometimes well into the night, and Smith has become a regular companion of Snyder's while recovering from the horrific leg injury he suffered last year. What drew the greatest attention, however, was the absence of team president Bruce Allen, who was seen leaving the stadium about three hours before. 
for most of Allen's decade in charge of the Redskins, a run that started exactly 10 years ago Tuesday. Yeah, you know, we had a lot of great things off the field. We had the Harvest Fest at FedEx Field. The Harvest Fest. The Harvest Fest. Oh, my God, do they love the Harvest Fest. And it's it's great for charity. Don't get me wrong. A lot of their causes and stuff, great for charity. They hang on that Harvest Fest and some of these events that they do where people show up and they're convinced that people still love them. Anyway, uh, we're going to continue to drop some of those Bruce Allen greatest hits throughout the show. Uh, I get back to Les Carpenter's piece where he's writing, for most of Allen's decade in charge of the Redskins, a run that started exactly 10 years ago Tuesday, today, he has been a constant presence at Snyder's side, walking with the owner onto the field before games and sitting with Snyder for hours-long post-game talks in the suite. Many have described the two as being joined at the hip. But in recent weeks, they have not been spotted together nearly as much. Snyder no longer goes onto the field before games, leaving Allen to stand alone on the sideline. The fact that Allen was not in the suite with Snyder and Alex Smith on Sunday only fueled speculation that Allen will soon be out as the team's president. And here's a a quote that Les Carpenter got for his piece. Quote, Bruce not being in the postgame suite is a big thing, one person who knows Snyder's and Allen's habits said. Later adding, quote, it's a sign that Bruce is in exile, closed quote. So, again, um, Carpenter's piece focuses on the different relationship that Bruce and, and Dan have outwardly. It's the same stuff we've been talking about here for a while and others in town have been talking about. Also, um, these, the uh, relationship between Alex Smith and Dan Snyder, which we've referred to also. Um, and Carpenter does write that one of the reasons that relationship may be close is because the wives are very close. Elizabeth uh, Smith and Tanya Snyder have become uh, very close, according to Les Carpenter's story. Um, Carpenter does write that um, he's got uh, people es- essentially suggesting that Alex Smith wants to play next year and that there's really been no talk uh, with Alex Smith and Dan Snyder about him assuming some sort of uh, front office job. But anyway, back to the part that got most of the attention. Multiple people with knowledge of the situation say Snyder has not made a decision on Allen's future with the team. I don't know what's true. I only know what I have been told from you know, people who would be either in the know or close to in the know, and they don't say it definitively. They've really just said to me over the last couple of months, they've suggested that the relationship has not been the same and that that's a clear-cut indication that something's going on, that Dan, when he moves on from you, he moves on from you. And they're not together as much, and they don't hang out as much. And when practice is going on in Ashburn and they used to be side-by-side on the field, that doesn't happen really anymore. Um, Nobody has said to me definitively that Dan's made up their mind at this point. They just think that they've seen this before, and they believe that he is uh, leaning strongly in that direction. And again, why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't he be thinking about moving on from Bruce Allen? So I am sticking with my position, and that is, or my hunch, I just cannot see any way that Bruce Allen returns. I felt that way last year. I understand that. I was wrong. 
um, I feel like this is an even more dire situation for the owner. All of the things that I mentioned are so obvious. The record, the revenue, the erosion of the fan base, um, the hashtag fire Bruce Allen. He's become enemy number one. They're, they have to believe somewhere internally that firing him is going to give them some sort of positive response, even though smart people will realize that Dan Snyder still owns the team. Somebody called into the radio show this morning and suggested that they felt um, that they'd be and we would all be better off if Dan just moved the team and the NFL gave the, uh, Washington an expansion team. Now, there's no guarantee you're going to get a better owner, but there is a guarantee of one thing. You're not going to get a, a worse owner. You know, you, you're not going to get something as bad as this. So... Um, I actually think that's a, a, a very interesting question, um, and I would be curious as to what fans think as to whether or not they would do, they would take what happened in Cleveland. You know, when Cleveland moved to Baltimore and the NFL immediately, because of a storied history, a storied franchise with a, a loyal fan base, the NFL came in and gave them an expansion team immediately. And they got to keep the team name and the team colors and all of the team records and the history. And if if that got offered up here, would you take that? I don't even know where he'd move the team, though. Like, where's he going to move the team? Like, the thought of him moving a team to Los Angeles a few years ago when L.A. didn't have a team, that would have been, to me, today in play if L.A. didn't have two teams. But where where's London's the obvious the market? Huh? London is the boogeyman now. Okay. And he spends, from what I'm told, a lot of time in Europe. You know, a lot of time on the Amalfi Coast in Italy. A lot of time in the south of France on his boat. You know, it'd be um, funny to move the team back to St. Louis. What do you mean? Or not back? back I mean, get put a team back. Oh, move the team to St. Louis. I can't imagine he wants to live in St. Louis, and St. Louis is not a bad town. Right? It's actually a pretty good town. I had to spend a lot of time in St. Louis back in the '90s. Schnucks Supermarkets—they were a client of ours um, in my old business. But anyway. That was the reporting from Carpenter. Um, Again, it was odd because he had some really good quotes in here, and the sourced stuff about Snyder has not made made his decision on Allen's good stuff. But it's like the whole story was about Allen and Snyder and the deterioration of their relationship, and then you get the multiple people with knowledge of the situation saying that Snyder has not made a decision on Allen's future, almost implying that Allen's still a possibility. I just can't imagine how he could still be a possibility. Why would he be a possibility, you you might ask? Well, the only thing I ever come up with when I consider this question is that what Bruce has become for Dan is um, probably something that's been perfectly timed. Dan has become a, a, a very much a public recluse. We haven't heard from him in an interview. He's not comfortable doing inter- interviews. Um, from what I've been told, uh, he's not super comfortable, and we've seen this reported before, he's not super comfortable in league meetings. Um, Bruce has been the guy in league meetings. You know, Bruce is a guy that a lot of people around the league respect. A lot of agents may not respect Bruce Allen. A lot of agents and players may not trust Bruce Allen and may have total justification uh, justification for doing so. Um, but there are people, owners, and other league league executives that like Bruce. And, you know, I've been with Bruce once or twice before, and you're sitting there having a normal conversation with him. I mean, there's there's a bit of a chip and a bit of arrogance a little bit, but it's he's not he doesn't come off as a terrible human being at all. But as team president, 
the results are the results. They've been horrific. There's no person other than an owner or family member of the owner, pretty much, that would continue to be employed with the record that he has. And it's not just the record as we know. It's all of the other stuff that's added up to the most embarrassing sports organization out there. It's the Knicks and the Redskins. That's the list. You know, those are the two right now that are at the bottom of the barrel. You want to throw in Jacksonville or somebody else, fine. It's in the bottom 5% of all sports franchises in terms of the ownership, in terms of the way it's run. And, uh, and, and that's just, you know, I don't know how you continue to employ people who have contributed to that. Um, anyway, um, I, I wanted to mention something before we get to a couple of other things, um, including Todd McShay's um, mock draft uh, that is out, uh, mock draft 1.0. Um, and I want to get to that in a moment, a few other things. Um, so before we get to some of the other stuff that I want to get to, I, I wanted to mention this story because we were just talking about the dregs of the sports franchise world, the Redskins being one of them. Well, apparently Jacksonville's one of them too. Um, I, I saw this story come across the crawl very early this morning. It didn't get much attention, but on the ESPN crawl this morning. So I looked up the details of it, and I found the following. The NFL Players Association warned players yesterday against signing with the Jacksonville Jaguars following the outcome of a grievance that was filed against the team. Apparently, um, the NFLPA won an arbitration grievance with Jacksonville that said that Jacksonville tried to require players to get all off-season medical treatment at the team's facility, which, by the way, contradicts the collective bargaining agreement. And part of the NFLPA statement yesterday said, you as players may want to consider this result of this grievance hearing when you have a chance to select your next club. Essentially, warning players, be careful if you consider Jacksonville. Well, you saw the specific instance that sparked this grievance, right? I did. Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll get into that in a moment because I want to just mention this, this other part of, of the story that I read. In the last two years, this was a report from the NFLPA yesterday as well. In the last two years, more than 25% of grievances filed by players across the league have been filed against one team, Jacksonville. You got 32 teams in the league, and more than 25% of the player grievances filed against teams were filed against one team, Jacksonville. That's amazing. I mean, I, I, I did not personally know that it was as dysfunctional as it apparently is, because to me, Tom Coughlin is a really good football guy. He was a hell of a football coach, and he built something there immediately that contended for a Super Bowl just two years ago. They were in the AFC Championship game after going into Pittsburgh and winning, and then they had a legit chance to beat the Patriots in the AFC title game. But it apparently is not a good organization. So you you mentioned um, the specific um, instance. So Dante Fowler, the linebacker um, for Jacksonville, who is now in L.A. with the Rams, right? Yes. Um, during the 2018 offseason program, he was fined 25 times for missing mandatory appointments with the club trainer or physician. 
So the arbitrator basically that looked into this grievance rejected Jacksonville's arguments that they had the right to fine him for not rehabbing at the club facility, which is not part of the CBA. Those off-season activities are voluntary. So he does not need to be there for that, according to the NFLPA uh, and um, the the finding uh, on the grievance. So anyway, I bring this up for this reason. So you've got the NFLPA out there warning te- warning players to stay away from one team, basically, Jacksonville. And I think, well, they haven't done that with the Redskins. You know, as much as we think the Redskins are the worst franchise in the history of sports, they have we haven't heard the NFLPA warn players about signing with the Redskins. And then again, they have not had an incident like this, but they have had an incident here over the last year. Uh, Trent Williams, the Trent Williams incident. Why didn't the NFLPA speak out in defense of Trent Williams during this whole time? They just came out with a strong statement against a team, Jacksonville. Now, there's, you know, 25% of the grievances filed over the last two years have been against Jacksonville. So there's a lot more, you know, evidence that Jacksonville is a problem for its players. And that's probably a big reason. It's a it's a big part of the reason, but given the nature of the whole Trent Williams saga and how wronged he believes he was wronged by the franchise in a life or death matter, the only time we heard from the NFLPA, correct me if I'm wrong, I could I could have missed this, is when the NFLPA agreed to have a third party investigation of the Trent Williams situation with the Redskins. The NFLPA wanted it. The Redskins wanted it, and the league wanted it, and Trent Williams was the one that decided he didn't want it. I just thought that reading that and seeing the outrage against Jacksonville from the NFLPA and that we hadn't heard anything from the NFLPA about the Redskins, we've heard from agents. You know, remember the USA Today poll from a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago now, that Bruce Allen was the the least trusted football executive in the NFL? Um, but we haven't heard any direct statements from the NFLPA. And I thought, you know, after reading this, man, they, they didn't weigh in at all. I don't believe on the Trent Williams situation, but anyway, I thought that was an interesting thing. Jacksonville, apparently a scarier place to go to in the NFL for the NFLPA, the players association than even the Redskins. Um, all right, quick word on mybookie.ag. If you don't have a place to wager, you're looking for a place to bet sports, consider mybookie.ag. And right now, they will match your deposit halfway. So if you deposit $200, they will match you up to $100. If they if you deposit $2,000, they will match you all the way up to $1,000. That gives you an extra $1,000 if you put a deposit in. All right, for $2,000 at mybookie.ag, if you use my promo code, KevinDC, they'll give you an extra $1,000 to play with. There are a lot of offshore, there are a lot of books out there. Um, I promise you this one's reliable, and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a reliable place that if you make a deposit, it's not going to disappear. It's a place that also offers quality lines and quality ways and a lot of different ways to play, to bet. You know, straight bets, teasers, parlays, in-game action, futures, they've got it all at mybookie.ag. Again, use my promo code, KevinDC, and they will match uh, your deposit halfway. 
It means you're close. There you go. There he is. Uh, it means you're close. They're not close. They're not close to anything as we know. Um, wanted to get to Todd McShay's first uh, mock draft um, because um, this is going to be a big offseason story, and the offseason's nearly here for the Redskins. And where they end up in this draft, I think, is going to be very critical to to the team's future. Now, again, you know, this all falls under the we're going to ignore when we have these conversations that Dan Snyder still owns the team and that nothing good can happen if Dan Snyder owns the team. That's a that that's a given in all of this. But what are we going to do? Stop talking about football? Stop talking about you know the draft and the players they can get? No, we're not going to stop talking about that. So. This weekend's a big weekend for draft positioning. Cincinnati plays Miami. The Redskins play the Giants. Right now, the, top, the these are the top four teams in draft order. Cincinnati, because of the one win with the Giants, Redskins, and Dolphins each having three wins, they're pretty much a lock to end up with the number one pick. I doubt they're going to win two games here. They could beat Miami Sunday. They could beat Cleveland in the season finale. It's not crazy. It's not nuts, but you know they know what's at stake, too, here. You know Joe Burrow's at stake. I, you know what the, one of the best bets of all time would be is that Cincinnati loses at least one more game. Yes. You know what would be great is if they beat Miami. Ryan Finley starts again. Bay, I'm playing Cleveland on the money line for everything because there's no yeah. way they're going to blow the opportunity to draft Joe Burrow. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that Andy Dalton is back behind center is because they did get that gap. They could afford to win a game or two. This was when they were yeah. winless at the time. But if they go in and beat Miami, it wouldn't surprise me to see Ryan Finley behind center uh, week 17. You know what? I like Ryan Finley. I know he didn't play well in the couple of starts that he got, but I actually think he looks like an NFL quarterback to me and a guy that's going to have a chance to be decent uh, down uh, the road. Um, Not for Cincinnati, though, since they'll have Joe Burrow. Yeah, so let's just assume that Cincinnati ends up in the number 1 spot and takes Joe Burrow. That means that the Giants, Redskins, and Dolphins, really those three teams, are in the Chase Young sweepstakes right now. Chase Young is the number one guy on the Kuiper board. I think he's the number one guy on the McShay board, too, even though McShay in his mock draft has Cincinnati taking Joe Burrow number one overall. What have the Redskins lacked forever? A quick twitch pass rushing specialist, and he's more than that. He set the single-season record for sacks for Ohio State this year. That's Ohio State. Okay, it's not Stony Brook. All right, they, he, he actually set the record for the most sacks ever. They've had a couple of the Boses here in recent years. The Boses have turned into monsters in the NFL. Chase Young's a difference maker, at least talent-wise, projecting to the next level. He looks like a true difference maker. From DeMatha, a local guy, played at Ohio State. And the difference between picking number two and then picking number three, four, or five is Chase Young. You can't blow this opportunity. You cannot. You got to lose this game to the Giants. <laughs> you got to lose that season finale to the Cowboys, a game in which Dallas may not have anything to play for. If Dallas beats Philly on Sunday, that last game against the Redskins is meaningless. They are, you know, they're locked into the 4 seed as the NFC East champion whether they are 9 and 7 or 8 and 8, doesn't matter. Now, maybe the Cowboys will be like, we got to keep playing well. We beat the Rams. We beat the Eagles. Let's finish it up we're, with a three game win streak. To allow momentum to fall off. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah. Um, but this is a big deal, especially if it's the Giants, a team you play twice a year. I mean, what if Chase Young turns into Khalil Mack or Lawrence Taylor as a pass rusher? 
Um, here's what uh, Todd McShay has. Todd McShay has Cincinnati picking one overall and taking Joe Burrow, and the Giants picking number two well, and right, taking Chase Young. Right now, the order, this is according to Field Yates this morning, uh, Bengals, Giants, Dolphins, Redskins. Redskins I, are the fourth based I, on tiebreakers. Based, and the tiebreakers are all strength of schedule. Yes. The weaker schedule you had the higher you will pick because essentially what that means is you played a weaker schedule and had the same record as that team. That means you suck even more Yes, because you played lesser teams. Now, that can change here over the final two weeks because although it's not probably going to it, – it, the Giants are playing the Redskins. Redskins are playing the Giants. are both 3-11. and 11, So nothing's going to change there. The Giants finish with the Eagles – and the Redskins finish with the Cowboys. So the Giants, more likely than not, are going to end up with an easier schedule. Now, the good news is they play, play each other this week. So the loser, there's not going to be a tiebreaker if they lose the right. finale. The Dolphins could be a problem, though, playing The Cincinnati. Dolphins could be a problem, but they've closed with New England. True. So, um, I mean, we could do the math on that real quickly. But anyway... Uh, bottom line is, uh, in McShay's uh, mock draft, he's got the Giants, assuming maybe the Redskins is the, as the favorite this week, beats the Giants. Giants getting Chase Young at number two, and then here are the Redskins picking Jerry Judy, wide receiver Alabama three. And McShay writes, Washington needs an offensive tackle, some cornerback help, but it also has to get more play playmakers around rookie quarterback Dwayne Haskins. It will be really hard to pass on adding Judy opposite Terry McLaurin. Judy is by far the best route runner in the country. Um, so he's got Judy going to the Redskins at number Boy. three. And then at number four to Miami, he's got Tua Tungavaila. So, you know, the Redskins at three, if the Giants take Chase Young, would have a chance to draft Tua if it really liked Tua. I don't think it will. No, they. I don't think they would. You I, know? I, I think the interesting thing, so this goes back to a conversation I was having in the Redskins press box probably three, four weeks ago at this point, and it's what do you do if you're the Redskins and you, you're at number two and then if you're at number three? And I can't remember who it was. Someone was advocating, even if they were at number two, you got to trade back. Some, you know, There are players there. There's Tua. There's Chase Young. Someone's going to give up a lot. And I was arguing you can't pass up on a generational potential generational talent like Chase Young. I, you, you trade back in certain situations, but when you have that true, you know, once-in-a-generation player, especially in the situation the Redskins are, where they need someone, they need a face of the franchise, I don't see how you can uh, pass up on Chase Young, even though I understand defensive players, it's tough to be a face of the franchise. I think that it's more than just you know a potential generational talent. It's a generational talent at a position that impacts games more than any other position other than quarterback. You know, if you were talking about people saying generational wide receiver or running back or offensive lineman, I think I might be in that camp of trying to leverage that position, trading back, given their position right now roster-wise, accumulating more picks and adding more players. The volume of players. With this franchise, because they've missed so much in the draft, volume is key. The more you pick, the, the greater chance you have on hitting on a guy or two. Um, but not Chase Young. I would not p- pass on Chase Young at number two if the Redskins were there. Now, at number three, which yes. w- w- this would get interesting because if Tua is healthy and projected to be healthy and is being evaluated at a very high level, almost in line with Joe Burrow, well, then the Redskins may have an opportunity to leverage that three spot 
for more picks as well. Mm-hmm. For teams wanting to trade up in front of, say, Miami to get Tua. Say the Chargers? Uh, say a lot of teams. Say uh, Jacksonville. Say Carolina. Um, the Chargers for their future quarterback. You know, the Raiders are all of a sudden not very happy with Derek Carr. Right. And they're moving to Las Vegas. Um, you know, you got a lot of those teams that that could be looking at, at that as a big move up. In terms of, like, you know, the projected teams that would be behind. How about, I mean, I don't think Detroit's in the quarterback market. Um, Stafford's getting older, and he's been injury-prone a little bit. Um, the Jets obviously have their answer. I'm thinking about the other bad teams. Arizona went, you know, number one last year. They've yeah. got Kyler Murray. Ky- Kyler's been good enough. Yeah. Um, he's been more than good enough. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Judy three. But again, keep in mind if Tua ends up, you know, climbing the 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 the, uh, the boards of of teams, they could still at number three be in a leverageable position um, if uh, if the quarterbacks become more prominent. Um, it's still a pretty it's a pretty good spot to be in. Number two's better, though. Yeah, number two's, number two's better, better for Chase Young, of course. And it's an interesting position at number three because not just for for Tua, but people are forgetting that Judy came into this season as the consensus number one prospect on the board. I know he did. He, he wasn't necessarily going to go number one, but he was the highest well, Bur- rated Burrow by wasn't anywhere near it. Right. Bur- Young, Burrow was, Young was, was up there. It, Judy it was, was up there. Andrew Thomas, the offensive lineman from yeah. Georgia, was up there. Um, you know, Justin Herbert and Tua. Tua. And um, yep. we're all, we're both quarterbacks rated ahead of Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow really, with that Texas game, started to jump into the first yeah. round, and then obviously he's become, you know, he he play, You know, one of the things is about him and watching him is he has all of the intangibles to go with the actual talent. You know, he's he seems to be a guy that you can build a franchise around. He seems to be Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what he he appears to be watching him play college football. But uh, Judy, it's the interesting thing for the Redskins because he's very good, and yes, he can help the team. I just don't know if you're the Redskins and you have the number three pick that you can take a wide receiver there and what the fan base reaction would be. And I also think it's going to be really interesting with respect to the wide receivers because this this is a heavy wide receiver first-round draft. In fact, um, let me go through the wide receivers in the first round in, uh, in the Todd McShay draft. Judy at number three. Uh, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, number six to Arizona. Uh, then you get... Um, T. Higgins from Clemson to Cleveland at 14. Justin Jefferson, who I like a lot, wide receiver LSU to Indianapolis. Uh, LaVisca Chenault Jr., a wide receiver from Colorado, 16 to the Raiders. Then it's Henry Ruggs, the second Alabama wide receiver to Philadelphia at 18. Um, Then it is... Brandon Ayuk, uh, the receiver from Arizona State to Buffalo at 23. Then it's Devontae Smith, the wide, the third Alabama wide receiver, to Green Bay at 26. That's eight wide receivers projected in the first round in McShay's draft. Eight. I can't remember the last time eight were taken. We're looking it up right now. Uh, seven in 2004. That appears to be the record since the merger in 1970. Seven wide receivers taken in 2004. McShay's got eight going in the first round uh, in, uh, in, in the 2020 draft. Um, all right, so anyway, uh, that's the quarterbacks, if you're interested in that. Um, after Tua, Justin Herbert goes 10. 
Um, and then I believe that's the last quarterback taken in the first round in his mock draft. So he's got three QBs going in the first round of the draft. Um, all right, so that's that. How about the game last night, um, the Monday night game? Drew Brees, uh, I saw them debating this morning. Brees or Peyton Manning? Give me a break. Peyton Manning every day of the week, twice on Sunday. I'll take Peyton Manning over Drew Brees. Drew Brees is a lock, first ballot Hall of Famer. He's probably a top 10 quarterback of all time. I've got him sort of you know, in the back half of that top 10 list, maybe even outside the top 10, barely, but certainly right around number 10. Peyton Manning's right around number three or two, or one, depending on what you think of Peyton Manning. He's in the top five. Um, he's not uh, He's not closer. He's he's closer to one. Breeze is closer to ten. Um, Breeze has been great, though. And last night's performance, a couple of things real quickly about the game last night. Number one, it was almost as sickening as the game that Joe Tessitore, Booger McFarlane, and and, um, and, and, and Witten, Jason Witten called last year when the Redskins went to New Orleans and he was about to break the yardage. Passing uh, uh, mark Amazing held by how that Peyton Manning happens in prime time. Yeah, and it was all about Breeze, and that was Week Four. The Redskins were two and one coming off a win over Green Bay, and it's like, hey, there's a game being played here, guys. It's not just about Drew Breeze. It's only Week Four. Redskins are two and one. This is a big game for them. Of course, it got out of hand early um, in that game, but. Um, last night was the same thing. I, I, I did not watch the second half, so I actually didn't see him break the record. But the whole first half was about this damn record, the touchdown record, which Tom Brady is three touchdowns behind Breeze. Yeah, that's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, so they're going to go and back and forth here. So we may get a – God forbid we get another broadcast where it's all about Drew Breeze or, Peyton, or, 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 or Tom Brady breaking uh, records. Um, what was amazing about the game last night, though, is that Drew Brees set the mark last night for the single single game completion percentage rate? He was unbelievable. Ninety six point seven percent completion percentage last last night. He was twenty nine of thirty. Twenty nine of thirty for three hundred and seven yards and four touchdowns, no sacks, no interceptions. His QBR, his raw QBR number was 97.0 on a scale of 0 to 100. I don't know how it wasn't 100. And then his passer rating was 148.9, and I mentioned early this morning, how was that not a perfect passer rating of 158.3? Somebody said it's because the yardage wasn't high enough for the uh, completions, which would equate to you know an average completion. Uh, you know, It was 10.2 yards per completion last night for, for Breeze. So he needed that to be higher to get a perfect passer rating. 29 of 30. For 307 yards, no quarterback in NFL history has ever thrown more than 20 passes with a completion percentage that high. Phillip Rivers actually set the record last year. He was 28 of 29. So Breeze did him one better, going 29 of 30 last night. And New Orleans you know, ended Indianapolis's playoff hopes, if you thought that they had any. And confirmed that Andrew Luck is indeed better than Jacoby Brissett, if you didn't know that already. Even though I like Brissett, he's not played well, and he's been inconsistent. There were, he's had some games that, that haven't been terrible, and he's had some games that haven't been great. New Orleans uh, is in the running for the number one seed in the NFC. 
Um, and uh, there are a lot of teams. It is top-heavy in the NFC right now. Green Bay, New Orleans, Seattle, San Francisco, all in the running for the number one seed, right? Four teams with two weeks left in the running for the one seed. That's unusual, I believe. You know, it's not unusual to have two teams in it, maybe not even three. Four teams all have a shot at the one seed and home field advantage throughout the NFC postseason. Um, And then uh, five teams have a shot at a first-round bye. Uh, Minnesota at ten and four still has a chance to be a top two seed and be a first round buy uh, when the playoffs uh, begin. But good night for Drew Brees and some entertaining football to be played here over the final two weeks of the season. They have an interesting final two games. They play um, at Tennessee uh, this week mm-hmm. and finish at Carolina. You know they're not always the same team on the road that they are in the dome. Um, the Tennessee game is big for Tennessee, obviously, big for for, for New Orleans. I, I I hope that they don't end up with home field advantage throughout. <laughs> I, I just I hope they don't. I they're not favored to right. The the NFC West uh, division winner is favored right now to get the one seed. Right, because uh, both teams, um, if they go th- either team, right, if they go thirteen and three, although the Saints would l- uh, win the tiebreaker over Seattle, and yes. they would lose the tiebreaker to San Francisco. Yes. So um, the Saints are rooting for Seattle to finish thirteen and three, opposite their thirteen and three, and then um, the Packers still have a shot. You know, with two games left, they play at Minnesota Monday night, and then they finish at Detroit. I'm actually really looking forward to this weekend, final weekend, and NFL playoff football. By the way, speaking of this weekend, have you realized how good? Saturday is for the NFL. We talked about it yesterday. Yeah, I mean, do you? I, I brought this up to you yesterday, and you said I didn't even know. I forgot about the triple header. Yeah, it's a great triple header on it, Saturday. It's an unbelievable triple header. It, it's good. It's just a good slate in general. But all like three of the top five games are on Saturday, and then we still have the Monday night game, which is great. Vikings Packers. And then you you know you mentioned the uh, the Titans game Titans Saints which is on Sunday and well you got the Cowboys Eagles uh, in the late window on Sunday However for the you NFC feel about East that game. yeah but it's a, it's, it's an a game for game. a playoff spot 100%, basically yes but yeah the triple header on Saturday is Houston at Tampa Tampa's really interesting they're seven and seven they've won how many games in a row four, four. in a row um, I mean you're lucky in the NFC this year if you're some of those top teams I'm saying this in all seriousness. You're lucky that, you know, a 9 and 7 wild card isn't a possibility anymore because I don't know how many teams would want to play Tampa right now in the postseason with what they're capable of producing offensively. Yeah, I mean with if if Godwin is out along with Evans then you would say whatever. But yes, I mean if you're talking about the Tampa from the last 3 games with Jameis Winston throwing even with the first drive interceptions 450 yards a game. You know, the games they lost early in the year. They lost an absolute devastating game to Daniel Jones in his mm-hmm. first start. The missed to the Giants the missed in week chip three. shot field goal. The missed easy field goal. They lost a game in New Orleans that they had a chance to win. They lost a game to the Titans they had a chance to win. And then the Seattle game mm-hmm. out in Seattle. I weren't they up like twenty one to three or something like that? Don't know if it was quite that much, but they were up and then yeah, ended up losing They in ended overtime. up losing in overtime um in that game. Uh they that's one of those teams that who do they finish with? The Texans and then who? Oh, the Falcons. Yeah. Saints are lucky they're not finishing yes. with the Bucks. Yeah. Uh, in that season finale, needing a win for seeding purposes. Yeah. The Jameis Winston thing is fascinating, and I feel like it might go down the Kirk Cousins road. They're going to franchise him. They might franchise him a second time, and then we'll see what happens. I would never let 
Jameis Winston go. I've I've talked about this before in the radio show. I think I've talked about it on the podcast. I know I got into an argument with Greg about this. <clears throat> You're a Tampa fan. I just have always had this feeling that Jameis Winston was the real deal. And I know that there are plenty of reasons to absolutely <clears throat> laugh at that notion. I watch him play and I'm like, this dude can just flat out sling it. This guy is fearless. This guy looks at times and carries himself at times like a big-time leader. And I know he's had so many issues off the field. And clearly, you know, he throws as many to the other team as he does to his own team. He leads the league with 24 interceptions. And it's not even close. I think Baker Mayfield's got 17. So he's seven behind where Winston is. But he's also thrown for 30 touchdowns this year. And only Lamar Jackson's thrown for more. Jackson's got 33. And he's thrown for 4,573 yards. He's going to be a 5,000-plus yard passer this year. Um, And, you know, his completion percentage isn't great compared to what's really good these days, but it's still 61.7%. His last two games, his last two games, he's thrown for 914 yards Eight touchdowns, four interceptions. He keeps both teams in it, man. Yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, the question is simply, like, they don't want to let him go. Do they want to give him a Nick Foles contract? Do they want to give him or more than that? The, no, the, the bigger issue to consider first is what is the market for Jameis Winston? Who are they competing with? Is there a big competitive landscape for Jameis Winston? Because... You, you can compare it to the Kirk Cousins thing. Kirk Cousins was more of sort of a solid, there was an understanding that you could, if you had a team around him, you were getting a great guy, you were getting a high completion percentage guy, you were getting, you know, you're, you're getting a guy somewhere in the top 10 to top 15. You know, he wasn't going to be elite, but he was not going to disappoint you either. With Jameis Winston, you don't know what you're getting in terms of character. I mean, you should have an idea. And you know you're getting a guy that can put up massive numbers, but for the other team as much as your team. I like Jameis Winston. How old is Jameis Winston? 27 at this point? Is he that old? 26. Whatever he is, I'd give him a shot if I didn't have an answer. 25. He came into the league If if I didn't have an answer at quarterback, I think I would be in, in the market for Jameis Winston. But I know I'm in the minority on that, so... I mean, before, you know, for a month ago, you would have said there would be no market. Now you say, well, we're seeing the, you know, what he can be. And what he can be is, you know, the, the easiest comparison is Brett Favre light. Yeah. Uh, Brett Favre light. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably, I mean, you know. It's not a perfect comparison, but the idea is. Is he, all the interceptions could, to go with all the yards and all the and touchdowns. Yeah. I hope he gets the triple crown. Uh, the triple crown being touchdown and interceptions and. Yardage. And yardage. Why is that the triple crown? Just because. It, why not? <laughs> Did you just make that up? Or sure. Do other people consider <laughs> I, it to be the triple crown? I've never heard that before. I mean, I, there, we've never had a situation like this before where a player has led in touchdowns, yardage, and interceptions. I'm pretty sure at least we've never had that before. So He, he also leads the league in sacks. No, I'm sorry. He's no. third. third. I was Kyler, say, Murray, Kyler does. Kyler yeah. Murray and Kyle Allen. Um, and Allen hasn't even started 14 games. Uh, lead the league in sacks. Um I like Jameis Winston. 
I, I don't know. I, I I don't know if I were a Tampa fan, you are what I would feel about him. I mean, what do you feel? Do you want he, this is your team? Yeah. You like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I do, do you want Jameis Winston back or not? I want him back. I just don't know if I want to give him market value. I, I think the the move is franchise him, but I know what that starts. We've seen it with Kirk Cousins, and you know, eventually you get to oh my god, he has all the power. It's hard to let him walk away at this point, though. It's very, very hard to let him walk away because you do see exactly what he can be. You know, we get sidetracked on some of these conversations sometimes, and they go on too long, but I just, I'm just i going to keep it going a little bit longer. Bruce Arians being there, Byron Leftwich, who I guess is going to be up for a potential head job. Todd Bowles is the defensive coordinator who has not done a great job. They need some more talent defensively. How's that rookie Devin White played? He's been okay. The whole defense has been a little up and down other than Shaq Barrett, who's right. awesome out of nowhere. Um, he's been pretty good, but not, you know, he hasn't been a complete stud or anything. That team with Arians and their staff could be a factor next year. They could. You know, year two of Arians, they 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 they've won four in a row coming down the stretch. Some of that stuff when you've got the same group coming back and and playing well, and you got some, I don't know if there's any carryover, not a lot, but you, you're seeing what their potential is here, and that is to score a lot of points, also give up a lot. If you can add some defensive talent and and um, and get better on defense, that could be a team that goes from, say, 8-8 eight and eight to 11-5 and five next year. Uh, it's still a tough division with New Orleans in it, you know, assuming, you know, Breeze and everybody's coming back. Um, but anyway, um, that's enough about Tampa Bay. What do you say? We yeah. end our conversation yeah. about Tampa Bay. Um, last thing uh, before we uh, end the show today, um, quicker show today uh, than than yesterday, is the NFL put out their um, list of wide receivers for the NFL 100 list. Uh, something that we've talked a lot about, you know, when it, especially with the Rigo stuff, when he wasn't included on that list of, of of running backs, the finalist list. I didn't think that Rigo would be a top you know, 10 running back, but I thought he should be on the list of 24 finalists. So anyway, the receiver list came out, and a lot of you tweeted me, and I'm going to read down the list of receivers that are on the final NFL 100 um, fi- uh, final 24 wide receivers that will then become the 10 receivers that make the team. Lance Allworth, he should be on it. Raymond Berry, he should be on it. Fred Bolitnikoff, okay. Chris Carter, Tom Fears, Larry Fitzgerald, Marvin Harrison, Bob Hayes, Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch, Don Hudson, Michael Irvin, Calvin Johnson, Charlie Joyner, Steve Largent, Dante Lavelli from the 40s and 50s, James Lofton, Don Maynard, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Pete Pihos, I'd never heard of him, 40s and 50s, he was an eagle, Jerry Rice, John Stallworth, Charlie Taylor, and Paul Warfield. Uh, they're listed alphabetically, if you were wondering, um, in the, fi- the final list of 24. From this list, 10 will be selected to the NFL 100 team. Charlie Taylor should absolutely be on this list, and I'm glad he is. Charlie Taylor is somehow, you know, um, I think in many ways, an underrated Redskin. And part of it is that it's been so long since he played. So I understand that part of it. Charlie Taylor is the greatest Redskins wide receiver ever. He's greater than Art Monk was. 
Charlie Taylor w- was a Hall of Fame inductee, I think, you know, a year after eligibility, maybe two years after eligibility. It took Art Monk too long to get into the Hall of Fame. I've always considered Charlie Taylor to be the greatest wide receiver in Redskins history. He was the first receiver I remember watching on teams that had Billy Kilmer, Sonny Jurgensen, Jerry Smith, Roy Jefferson, Larry Brown, etc. Good football teams. Now, a lot of his yardage and greatness happened in the 60s with Sonny. I don't remember those teams. I um, wasn't around for those teams. Um, but I, I, I understand that uh, they, they were a lethal offensive team and just didn't have defense in the 60s. Charlie Taylor should be on this list. I'm, I'm glad he is. Now, what about Art Monk? So... The Art Monk conversation, you know, he went into the Hall of Fame well past the point he should have gone into the Hall of Fame. It was a joke that Art Monk took so long, that it took so long to get Art Monk into the Hall of Fame. There was a lot of, you know, politics on the Hall of Fame, you know, committee, um, a lot of Peter King uh, negative involvement in the uh, delay in getting Art Monk into the Hall of Fame. Art Monk was a clear cut Hall of Famer the day he retired as the all time leading pass catcher in NFL history. Um, why it took so long, again, who knows? Um, there was a, a clear misunderstanding of what Art Monk was um, as a wide receiver from guys that should have known better. Uh, you know, you also get into the situation where, you know, the people that present you, the people that make your case have to be really good at it. Um, and I don't know that that's what Art Monk had on his own behalf, uh, on, his, on his behalf over the years. And I, I don't even know all of the people that presented Art Monk and made the case for Art Monk in those meetings. Um, I just know that Art Monk should have been in the Hall of Fame long before he got into the Hall of Fame. With that said, should he be on the list of the 24 greatest receivers of all time that will be pared down to the 10 on the NFL 100 list? I don't feel as passionate about Monk not being on this list as I did Riggins not being on the list. Because immediately I went down the list and I said, here are a couple of guys that, to me, I watched a lot of football. I watched, I watched Riggo's career here in Washington. Um, and I watched all of these other careers. And to me, uh, Riggo was just better. I mean, I didn't need numbers for it. I just watched with my own eyes and said, Riggo was better than these guys. You know, Art Monk, there are a couple, of, a couple of guys on this list that I feel Art Monk was better than. Not in the same passionate, uh, definitive way that I felt Riggo was better than some of the guys on the list. But I do think on this list that Art Monk um, was better than uh, John Stallworth, as an example, uh, in Pittsburgh. Stallworth was part of a great team, a dynasty team with Terry Bradshaw, with Lynn Swan as their number one guy, with Franco Harris, Rocky Blyer, and really some of the greatest defenses in NFL history. Stallworth um, was, uh, it took Stallworth a hell of a long time. They're, they're, they actually have very comparable Hall of Fame uh, uh, discussions and, and narratives and paths. Stallworth, it took him 15 years after he retired to get into the Hall of Fame. It was debatable on him. Uh, more so than I think it was with Monk. Um, he was a Hall of Fame inductee 15 years after his career ended. Uh, Art Monk, I think, was better than John Stallworth. I do. I think he was a better receiver than John Stallworth. Art Monk had better mu- numbers than Michael Irvin, and that's you know so did Gary Clark's numbers are consistent with Michael Irvin's numbers as well. But I don't think Art Monk was a better receiver than Michael Irvin. At best, I think they were comparable. You know, Michael Irvin has far fewer receptions than Monk does. 
Um, but it doesn't really matter. I watched Michael Irvin too. I watched I watched these receivers. Uh, they're very comparable. Monk, if you're curious, is number twenty still on the all time receptions list. Number twenty. Um, it is uh, so uh, Irvin to me is fine being on this list. It, it, it's absolutely fine having him uh, be on this list. Chris Carter, I'd take Art Monk over Chris Carter. I would. Took Carter, remember, a lot of it was for personal reasons, as it was with Monk, because he was not a, a great media guy. Carter, because of some of his off-the-field transgressions. Took Carter 13 years to get into the Hall of Fame. Carter's got you know a lot more receptions than Monk, but played you know in a slightly different era. Not completely different. You know, his first five or six years was with Monk, but he played into the 2000s. Um, I think I would take Monk in front of Charlie Joyner. You know, I think it was Charlie Joyner who Monk passed on the all-time receptions list for number one. Uh, Joyner, I think, uh, was passed. Uh, I think Joyner passed uh, Charlie Taylor, who was number one on that list. Taylor passed Don Maynard on that list. I think I have that right. I mean, I watched Charlie Joyner on those great Charger teams with Kellen Winslow and John Jefferson and Dan Fouts and Chuck Muncie. I watched those. I watched Joyner play more towards the end of his career in that Air Coriel offense. Art Monk was better than Charlie Joyner. Come on. Art Monk was every bit what James Lofton was, in my view. There are guys on this list Stallworth, uh, Lofton, uh, Charlie Joyner. Uh, Carter, that yeah, I think Monk was better than. I think it's it's more debatable than I think some of the guys that were on the list in front of Rigo, but I think Monk should be on this final twenty four list. Um, if you were looking for uh, if you were looking for my view on that, that's I, I, Monk would have been on this list. It's more debatable with some of these guys than it was with Rigo and his guys, but I put Monk on the final twenty four list. Monk would not be in the top ten list. I'll give you the top ten right now. Okay, Lance Allworth is going to be in the top ten. Um, Larry Fitzgerald's going to be in the top 10. Uh, Randy Moss is going to be in the top 10. Terrell Owens is going to be in the top 10. That's four. Jerry Rice, obviously, in the top 10. That's five. I think Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson. It's a unique case. It is a unique case with a short career. I think Calvin Johnson's probably in the top 10. That's six. I still got more to go. Um... I guess some of these older guys are going to end up because that's the way it's yeah. gone. And Raymond Berry, maybe. Bolitnikoff. Bolitnikoff, man, you talk about the all-time possession receiver. Yeah. Um, uh, I know those teams in the Ram uh, in the 50s with the Rams. I've read about those teams with Tom Fears, et cetera, um, were really, really good teams. Um, anyway, I, I gave you six of them. I can't give you the rest because I, there are too many guys on this list I didn't see play. I, have no, I didn't even know who Pete Pyro was or Pyhos. Never heard of him. Eagles, 1940s, 50s. Good for him. Uh, All right, that's it for the show today. Um, We've got an app. If you want to download the app, you can do it on your iPhone through the App Store or on your Android through the Google Store. Have a great day back today, uh, back tomorrow, excuse me, with Tommy. It eats away at your core when you lose.